Welcome back, folks, to another episode of Business from the Bass on the Serious Angler Network. And guys, today we've got a great show lined up. This one, uh, I think, is going to be is going to go a lot of different directions. But for one, just kind of get into the economics of tournament bass fishing. Talk a lot about that. Uh, this is a guest we've had on the show prior, probably at least a year ago at this point. Um, and that is none other than Luke Schrader. Let's uh, let's bring him in from Sidepot Fishing. What's going on, Luke? What's up, man? How are you? Oh, I'm not too bad. Things are are thawing out in Idaho, but we were talking a little before we got the show started, and things are doing. It sounds like still the opposite for you in uh, Kentucky, right? Yeah, I'm in uh, Southern Kentucky, and I think last night it got down to like negative two. And it hasn't gotten above freezing in like six days. And like I was telling you, my, my pipes have been frozen. So I'm sure there's someone out there who can relate to that. But uh, about an hour ago, I just took my first hot shower in a few days. So <laughs> glad, glad you took a shower. And uh, yeah, I think plumbers around the country right now are doing pretty well. Uh, there's, I'm sure there's just been so many pipe issues. Um, luckily, I haven't had anything like that here, but I've seen uh, a couple of emergency plumbers go down the street the last couple of days just around stuff you know and i'm just like oh gosh it's just a i feel bad for for people in those situations um because man it, it can happen and it can happen fast with how cold and especially the cold in places where it's not used to getting cold right like texas and like places where it's like you don't expect it to get into the negatives or anything like that right that's exactly it and i think you know this area is just i wasn't expecting it it was my first year but you know you live and you learn and we'll be better prepared for it next year yeah. Well, dude, and, and we stay in touch pretty good. And, and you'd mentioned, Hey, I'm, I'm moving to this area in, in Kentucky, this sweet spot, you know, I've kicked around a different ideas around bass fishing on where it makes the most sense on a place to live or, or something like that. But walk us through just a little bit about what you've done. This, this cabin this beautiful cabin. We can see in the background, but a little bit of that stuff. Yeah, man. So I got like a semi off grid cabin on nine and a half acres. I am about 15 minutes from the ramp at Lake Cumberland, uh, less than an hour from Dale Hollow, pretty much two hours, two and a half hours from all the East Tennessee lakes. And then you can be in Northern Alabama in like three and a half hours or so. Wow. You know, I think it's probably the best compromise is still being sort of in touch with some of my East Coast roots and my family up there. Um, but I love it so far, man. There's so many more angling opportunities here as compared to the Northeast where I grew up. Right. Right. I mean, just such a big tournament scene. I'm, I'm sure there's, especially places like that. Now this weather might've changed things, but I've always felt like Cumberland and Dale hollow, like they have always been known for a, an awesome winter bite, right? Like you've got the small mouth, you got the Demiki rig stuff. Like, I feel like that is such a thing or that early spring, um, tournaments that kind of stuff but i'm sure there's like year round man you can you can find a derby within a couple hours of your house yeah absolutely i mean there's tournaments here pretty much every weekend throughout the winter and i fished a handful of derbies through the fall and it was interesting just every week it just sort of progressively got better you know it was typical september grind but you know december was better than november and you know november of course was better than october so it's yeah. definitely a different seasonal progression here that i'm still sort of figuring out Sure. Sure. Well, man, I wanted to, to take the show a couple of different directions, but I think, I think the main one that I'm interested in is, 
you know, there's a lot of, and I don't want to beat this horse to death. I feel like I talk about it on every show, but there's, there's a lot of, um, change going on in the industry into 2024, a lot of flip-flopping between tournament guys. We see different leagues popping up and the potential of stuff happening. Um, angler participation maybe going down in, in some situations at the pro level or, or whatever else it may be. I feel like there's always guys coming up, but you know, watching your career, you, you pushed heavy into the NPFL and, and you've, you've been fishing tournament fishing for a very long time. Like just looking at stats, right? You pushed all in. And then this last season, I keep seeing all this stuff with Luke winning co-angler tournaments and making a bunch of money. And I'm like, man, this guy's might have things figured out like this is, you know, so I just wanted to get your take on your journey, I guess the last couple of years in tournament fishing. Yeah, man, I guess you could say I'm almost like an industry journeyman at this point, but uh, I grew up just like a kid with a dream, you know, always wanted to be a bass master, you know, started fishing tournaments when I was 16. And it was always sort of like working towards this collective goal of becoming a pro angler you know, and you sort of invest everything you, you have into it really financially and then also effort wise. Um, and I feel like I, you know, I genuinely got my chance when I fished the MPFL. I fished with them the inaugural year, I guess that was 2021. Uh, and I did fairly well, you know, I feel like I held my own, but you still come away losing money after it's all said and done without the, the major sponsor backing. Um, and I think the sponsor backing is not always indicative of like the the level you're competing at, but more so like who, you know, and how you can market yourself. And it, you know, sometimes that that's just an opportunity that, that pops up at different times and different stages. And, you know, it wasn't there for me. So uh, I kind of made the the tough decision to sort of step back a little bit. Uh, I fished the Bassmaster opens just the three of them in 2022. Uh, okay. And then last year really fished a couple BFLs as a boater, but fished more as a co-angler. Uh, still yeah. have a boat, of course. I don't have a eighty thousand dollar boat anymore. Um, yeah, really, just fish locally as a boater, but then some of these other, you know, further tournaments decided to hop in them as a co angler, and really just with a different attitude. Um, mm. Feel like as you fish as a boater, like it's it's fun, but it's stressful, and I think it's always like most notable in the morning. Like you're sitting there before your first stop, you know, or before you blast off, and the boater has a million thoughts going through their head. And the co-angler is pretty much like sitting there on their phone taking a video, you know, Dude. because they don't have a care in the world, you know. And I'm not necessarily taking the blast off video, but I'm just sitting there, you know, carefree. And it's fun. It's it's truly fun. You know, if you have the right attitude and, you you know, you go into it as you're going to learn something or you're going to have a good time, you know, I think it's really the best value out there. Man, I, yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there in a lot of ways. But I mean... So I, and I, I, this was, this last year was the first year I didn't fish any events as a co-angler every year prior to that. I tried to hop in a couple, um, number one, and I've talked about it before, but if you you fly Southwest, man, I, I'm out West, right? So I gotta, I gotta travel the distances. Yeah. You can fly with all your gear. Like that's, that's cool to me without paying any additional fees as far as rods, reels, tackle. Um, the learning experience in all of that is huge and you're dead on as far as the, attitude as a co mine certainly is always from a learning aspect and then the other side is like the relaxation you're not you're not stressing about where to go next or that like yeah sure in the in the moment you're fishing competitively and you're doing well but you're dead on in the morning you're just like this is great i'm happy to be here like yeah. i'm gonna 
running down the lake at like noon, right? As a as a boater, I'm like crushing a sandwich like in my face trying to drive. And then as a cuddler, it's just like, man, well, I got driving. I didn't have to do anything. Yeah. I'll just eat some snacks. Like yeah. it's, it's a different vibe. I, I definitely notice the amount that I eat. Like as a boater, I pretty much I might drink a bottle of water and I probably don't eat anything. And as right. a co-angler, like I could eat a whole sandwich and a couple snacks and still 100%. not wasting time. I'm not sitting there eating a sandwich, you know, when we're supposed to be fishing. But when he's idling through a no wake zone, you know, you sort of get these opportunities of downtime. So, right, right. No, a hundred percent, man. Well, I, I think it's just a cool story in, in my eyes because you don't see it very often, right? You see the progression of a guy going, 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 and then maybe you see a guy walk away from tournament fishing. Or yeah. you see, you know, whatever it may be, but like, to me, it sounds like it was a, a economic decision, right? It was like, Hey, I went and did this, the level that we're all trying to get to, or a very high level of tournament fishing where I'm spending the $80,000 for the bass boat and I'm paying a $5,000 entry fee. And you know, you're, you're fishing at a very high pro level. And then you're like, I did decent. I finished okay, pretty good in AOI, and I didn't make any money, right? And then it, without having the sponsor backing, you're like, hold up, what makes sense financially right now? Pretty much, yeah. I, I feel like I have nothing to prove anymore. I feel like, you know, for as you're coming up, you always want to sort of progress to the next level or feel like you have to prove something to somebody. And I don't really have that anymore. So it doesn't mean that I'm not competitive, of course but I think I'm content, you know, from the front or the back of the boat, really. Right. Right. That's sweet, man. And that's, and it's cool too, that you've obviously still have the boat. You're right there you can jump into local stuff. Um, maybe fish some BFLs or something where you're like, Hey, this is where it makes sense financially. But on the, I mean, your 2023 season. So what did you fish? I guess this last season, 2023 boater wise, and then co-angler wise. Uh, I fished a lot of local derbies as a boater, uh, you know, Ike Pro-Am up on the Chesapeake Bay. And then uh, I think a couple of mountain BFL divisions as a boater. Uh, as a co-angler, I fished the entire uh, volunteer division. Uh, okay. I fished the central Toyotas. And I also fished the northern Toyota that was on the Potomac River. So I think Very that was cool. maybe nine co-angler tournaments and then the BFL regional and uh, Toyota Series Championship. So 11, 11 total the back yeah heck yeah man no and 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 so are you a guy as a co-angler are you flying in or driving in on the day of the event are you practicing what's kind of your your gauge there as a co uh i generally don't practice i pretty much just show up uh the day or the morning of or the night before uh i think we probably travel similarly adam i got a little camper in the back of my suburban and you know, that's where I stay if I can. So, uh, as a co-angler, it's just one less thing to worry about, too. I mean, you don't have to worry about charging the boat batteries or anything like that. You can almost sleep right at the ramp most of the time. Um, not going to say I haven't done that before. With the finances of it, too. I mean, fishing as a co-angler is a great deal until you start to practice for two or three days and you get a hotel. And the next thing you know, you could be, you know, five, six, seven hundred dollars into a, a, a co-angler tournament. So you're not going to make it any like that either. Sure. No, that's a, that's a great point. And so looking at your, your 2023 season here. So let's see, 
just in 2023, I'm just looking at top tens right now. So February, BFL as a co-angler, second place on Chick. Yeah. S- sixth place on Watts Bar. Then second on the Potomac in a Toyota series. That was a great check as a co-angler. Five grand. And then a win on Dale Hollow at home this fall as a $50,000 payday. In uh, And that was the BFL regional championship. Is that what that's called? Yep. Yep. BFL regional. Um, and I think the ironic thing about that and that we should touch on is that I won $50,000 for that event as a co-angler. Yeah. The boater won the equivalent of $60,000. So almost the same top prize. And he invested an entire week of practice, traveled from, you know, probably seven, eight, 10 hours away. Yeah. Uh, way more exponentially more expenses and almost the same price. That's crazy. Yeah, that is, that's incredible. And that's why, and I don't know if it's changing to be honest too, from, from rumors that I've heard, but on the West coast, it has been the move to fish as a co-angler because the participation right in the Toyota series is less and therefore, but, but Phoenix sponsor contract has, has still had the boat giveaway. Yeah, the thirty-three thousand dollar value, which right at thirty-three thousand, sixty or eighty boats on the boater side is probably around thirty thousand as well, right? Right, right, so. exactly. And so it's the same concept. So what we've seen, I one time called. This was two years ago. Um, there was a seventy-person co-angler waiting list on the Toyota series with like eighty or ninety boats in it on the yeah. boater side. Because so many people saw the op, right? They're like, hey, it's a $500 entry fee for a chance at $30,000 versus a $1,800 entry fee. And like you right. said, a week into it. And not to mention the other aspect, this, as I get uh, older and working and, and doing more things more often, it's like I have started to also, and I love tournament bass fishing. I love tournament bass fishing with my boat. I, I, I truly love it so much. It's not even funny. But every time that I go and practice for three or four days, that's three or four days that I could be working, right? Like, or doing, you know, and so, so like it's, it's a hard balance because you're spending right. money during those days and not making money if you're yeah. an independent contractor like myself or something like that. So it's, it's a tough thing to balance, man. Yeah. I mean, not to mention also like the, the competition level, you know, that you're sort of competing against. I mean, yeah. These boaters, they're all ringers, you know, for sure. So, experienced co-anglers but there's some that you know might be their first tournament and they're showing up with, with two spinning poles you know you you really don't know but yeah dead on dead on and i think uh i think that's a great thing to touch on i don't think it's talked about enough is like i've taken the approach at some tournament levels to think through of like you know i i want to i don't care who i'm i'm fishing against you know i'm happy to fish against the top guys out there and, and I'm happy to fish against local guys as well. But I think in, in consideration, thinking about things in odds, right? Like where are you going to take your odds? Like I'm going to take my odds better fishing against, um, you know, less competition than I would be fishing against a bunch of ringers. Like you're, yeah. you're dead on. I think that's natural. That's okay to talk about. I feel like enough people don't, I don't know, bring that up. In, in certain league decisions and things like that. Yeah. So you kind of got to look at who you're fishing against. Yeah. I mean, you are truly competing against the fish, but I, I think at the end of the day, you know, your competition sort of dictates where you fall in the grand scheme of things. So 
maybe not so much winning the tournament, but as far as whether you're in 20th place or 40th place, I think it's relevant for sure. I think that's, yeah, I think that's where it's more relevant. That's a great point because like if you find them, like if you find the winning bites or you have found what I would consider like a top 10 worthy group of fish or a couple yeah. areas where you're like, man, I've, I, I've got a chance here. And then that win to me comes when you pick up on that seven pounder instead of a three pounder and you have right. that extra big kicker or something like that. Like you're right. At the end of the day, it's you against the fish. It doesn't matter to get to a win, but doing this to make money and cashing checks when you have guys who are consistently finishing in the top 25%, if you have less of those guys, you've got a better chance of cashing a check. Right. And I wouldn't say the goal is to make money. I think the goal is to not lose money. Right. I mean, I'm not trying to make money out of the back of the boat, but if I can go and fish for free, I'm going to do it. Right. As compared to spending, you know, a Toyota series event as a boater is probably $3,000 on average, you know, between this, the $1,700 entry fee and then, we'll say $1,300 towards practice and gas and everything like that. So. Lodging. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it, it, dead on. I think that's a, man, that's a, that's a side pot shirt right there is <laughs> the goal. The goal is it to make money. The goal is to not lose money fishing. Yeah. <laughs> that's good. I think it's dead that's, on too. being realistic, you know, with, with the way it is, but yeah. No, it's, it's for real, man. It's for real of how, where, where tournament fishing is. So dude, let's talk about the two, the two big ones here. So Toyota series on Potomac second place finish day three. It looks like blanked. Unfortunately, that's part of the co-angling thing, right? Like it could have been a draw issue, whatever it may be, but let's, let's hear about the second place. A weather cancellation day. Oh, no way. no No one fished that final day. So that was a, that was an interesting deal because I was in second place going into the final day and definitely wanted that opportunity to win, sure. but also knew that I could just as easily, you know, fall down another 10 spots. And, you know, the amount you can gain there potentially probably exceeds the potential loss, you know, like a chance at 30 grand as compared to five grand is, is pretty significant, but. But at the yeah, same time, aren't you paired on the right final day? day? Oh, sorry. On the. I think we got a little delay, but can you hear me? Okay. I got you now. Yeah. Okay. On the final day, aren't you paired with the person who's in the same position as you? You are. Yeah. So when it that, I mean, just thinking odds wise, if you're paired with the sec, I mean, depending on what he's doing, but he's probably on some really good fish versus maybe the 10th place guy. You see what I'm saying? Probably. I did look at uh, his co-anglers performances from days one and two to sort of like uh-huh. sort of justify, you know, my my thinking towards the whole deal and they didn't do so well. So I don't know. Once again, that might be a personal thing. That might be just like an opportunity thing, you know? Yeah. But that's how I I justified it in my head. Sure. Well, I was with it, you know, totally. So how did you catch him days one and two uh, behind guys on the Potomac? Uh, I caught him fishing a baby brush hog on a spinning rod, probably for the most part, day one, and then uh, a couple on a frog as well. Um, So it was cool. It was kind of like a finesse bite in the morning, and I was we were fishing open grass, so like great opportunity as a co angler. Um, And I think I had almost a limit before my boater, 
even caught any and i felt terrible because i was fishing like in the back of the boat you know i'm always super considerate i think that's like the number one thing being from boater perspective primarily to, to sort of understand and respect that um so that was a great day and uh day two i had an awesome day too so same deal fishing open grass and and catching them on the baby brush hawk? uh we actually fished the back of a creek and i think i caught i don't have like a four and a half pounder that day i caught him on a shaky head Okay. Uh, I think I had two or three keepers on a shaky head that day, and I had one punching at the very end of the day, uh, which felt great. Don't get to do that as much as I'd like. Um, yeah. But I think I had six keepers, maybe seven keepers that day as well. So Great day of fishing. Yeah, I feel like uh, Potomac is generally a, a more co-angler friendly body of water. Just that, I mean, and I've never fished there, but just thinking through like the Delta in California, right, is a is a tidal body of water that you can punch in, fish open grass, you can fish the back of the creek, all some of the things that you're saying. And I totally agree. As a co-angler, like it was awesome. You can cast any direction, right? Yeah. Like and and same deal. Be respectful of your boater, but um, you know, make you can make a cast uh with a frog way back up into something because he's sitting there punching and just going down the line. And and so you yeah. can do things differently. So that's that's cool. Yeah, I think I feel fishing like vegetation as, places. Yeah, help a absolutely. Lot. absolutely. I feel like fishing as a co-angler has made me a better boater uh, because I'm sort of I see the fish that I can catch behind people, uh, and I think about how I would have approached it and how I may have not caught the fish that I'm catching as a co-angler because I'm kind of fishing a little differently than I would be fishing from the front of the boat. So it's okay. kind of sort of when you maybe reevaluate some things and. Maybe instead of rolling that spinnerbait by that laydown, I should probably just pick up that shaky head the first time, you know, just as an example, and just catch what's there, you know, rather than trying to catch the aggressive fish necessarily. Totally. I, I've learned so much on the co-angling side of things, and then I've learned so much from co-anglers fishing on the boater side of things. Yeah. Like just how guys approach things, how they're throwing something. Like, I had a guy this last year, absolutely wax me at the delta on a big swim bait behind me and i was just like what is going on it was post frontal it was tough i was throwing a sanko around and i was just like okay hold up i gotta dig through everything what is going on he caught a four he caught a five and i was just like all right man what is happening like just asked him everything he knew i mean he's a total local from the Delta and had something figured out, but it was, it was awesome, man. I love stuff like that. It, it, it taught me a ton. And then I think my favorite thing to ask guys, if I have a bad day, like I had a bad day one, that tournament, I asked him, I was like, dude, what, what's your take here? Um, you watched me all day fish in the front of the boat. What was I doing wrong? Like he, mm -hmm. he, I, I had, I had a small limit. He had a big limit and I'm like, what's the deal? What, what did you see that was different? And so at the end of the day, we started catching them pretty good on like my fish had moved up with the tide with, with the tide and I was catching them on a Sanko and he was too. But again, like I'd flip over and catch a one and a half pounder and he'd flip over and catch a three. And I'm just like, what is, what's happening? And sometimes that's just luck or whatever else. But he's like, man, you, you were moving quick. Like he's like, I was absolutely dead sticking the crap out of that Sanko and you were dead sticking it for like two seconds and then picking it up. Right. And it's like, ever since then, man, I have slowed completely way down whenever I'm doing that. And it was just like, 
don't be afraid to ask that guy like, man, what, ha- what was it here? You know, we're here to learn. Yeah, man. That's, that's a great thing to do. Absolutely. Oh man. It's, it's cool stuff. But so Potomac second place walked out with some great cash and you're like, sweet, man, this is fall fishing now rolling into Dale hollow BFL regional in October, which what happens to Dale hollow that time of the year? Are they, what are the fish doing? It seemed like everyone in the top 10 was pretty much, uh, live scoping, uh, fairly deep, you know, anywhere suspended fish, but anywhere from like 50 to hundred plus feet of water. Sure. Uh, you could catch fish other ways. You could catch fish in the grass. Uh, you could catch fish shallow. I feel like most people would tell you as a co-angler, you're probably better off with someone who's fishing shallow around, around some type of cover where you can sort of traditionally fish, uh, the live scope thing gets, gets a lot of people discouraged. Um, right. But I really just always try and have that positive mental attitude, you know, and I think a great example uh, was day three of that tournament, uh, which was my biggest bag of the tournament and helped me win that $50,000. Uh, mm-hmm. I asked my boater going into the final day, who was, I believe we were both in second place. He said both of his co-anglers had caught zero fish uh, the prior two days at all. Yeah. And I think in the back of his boat, I had maybe five, six, seven fish throughout the day. You know, I think I had three keepers, broke one off, but, you know, overall had a great day. And I think that I could have easily gotten discouraged or just assumed that I wasn't going to be able to catch any fish in that situation. But I think you really just need to keep casting and, and fish hard. And I, th- yeah. I still think you catch fish when you're put in that situation. Well, and that's a, I thought about it this year at the Toyota series championship, right? Like, uh, similar deal where a lot of the top 10 were out in i mean the house i was staying at with my buddies it was like called it the ocean right they're out in the middle of nowhere chasing chasing pelagic fish they're chasing bait around and the co-angler standing in our house were like oh man i drew a guy that's out in the ocean tomorrow right like it was a very negative thing with live scope and all that and i just thinking through live scope too and fishing off the front of the boat this last year it was just like I would be, honestly, I would be discouraged fishing off the back of the boat in that situation. I mean, what did you do differently than all the co-anglers on that final day to catch those fish out of the back of the boat out in the middle of nowhere? Uh, I think a lot of it is sort of visualizing where your bait's at at all times and trying to stay in contact with it or just understand how it's falling and get to that sort of appropriate depth range because there's generally going to be like a depth range that you need to keep your bait in. Uh, okay. And then also, I think kind of knowing fish behavior from being on the front of the boat and watching it, um, just knowing how many like often swim back to the boat or, mm. you know, to sort of just watch what he was doing. I, I never would cast towards the front of the boat, but I'd pay attention to how deep his bait was getting. And then sort of when he caught a fish, you know, like how it might be relating um, and just sort of trying to duplicate that. Totally. Uh, I also think that, you know, when someone is in live scoping from the front of the boat, you're often, you know, pinpoint presentation and you don't want a bait that moves fast. You know, you often want to just drop it right on their head, but as a co-angler, you're never making a pinpoint cast. So the other thing for me is I feel like you need to cover water and you need to make a lot of casts. So you need to find something that is moving because I think just sort of dangling a Demiki rig off the back of the boat, you might catch one or two doing that, but I think your odds, you know, just, 
thinking about it, you know, you probably have to cast a 10 fish just to get two to bite. And that's casting it right on their sure. head, you know? So sure. how many casts are you going to have to make if it's not moving at all? So. Right. Right. No, man, that's a fair point. And, and it's a, it's a, I've, I've thought through that too, as a co-angler, because when, when someone hooks up with the fish, right. And especially we've learned so much with forward facing sonar now that every time I look up with a fish, I'm immediately looking at forward facing sonar to see how many more are with it. Yeah. Right. Coming back to the boat. Right. So, so are you, I mean, like when that sort of thing is happening, are you getting ready to throw near that or near the boat, dropping a bait in the water when you go to net the guy's fish? What's, what's kind of your take as fish are coming towards the boat? Uh, grab the net first, first of all, you know, and just take care of that whole situation. Um, probably right. try and drop one straight down if I can, you know, maybe a drop shot or something like that, or a spoon or silver buddy or a little small swim bait or something like that, uh, right below the boat. But it's always encouraging when your boater catches a fish because you know, you're, you know, you're around fish. So, uh, I think, you know, we see they're always grouped up. So I think when someone catches a fish, it means there's other ones around for sure. Totally. And so you mentioned moving baits and casting a lot. I mean, what in that specific situation being out there, I mean, what, what got you the dub, what got your three bites on that final day? to uh to secure the win uh i actually caught him on a big flutter spoon um wow i'm a big metal guy uh i don't throw a spoon as much probably just because i grew up in the northeast and it was always kind of like a blade bait kind of deal but sure. i think that some of those heavier like reaction style baits are probably like overlooked in a lot of scenarios you know i i'll throw a blade bait even when it's warm i know most guys it's like a 45 degree or lower type scenario but whenever there's fish that really aren't aggressive or you want to get them to react uh, I think a blade bait is great in any of those like spotted bass fisheries, particularly, um, mm. or any of those suspended largemouth situations. That's awesome, man. So a big flutter spoon, just randomly casting out in the middle of nowhere and, and ripping it up and bringing it back. Yeah. Making it, you know, letting it sink down to probably 40, 50 feet and then, uh, just fishing every cast. Like you could potentially get a bite, you know, I think you need to be kind of holding into what's going on. Uh, I remember the first one I caught, it was like, oh, wow, this is like a miracle. You know, like I, I thought it was going to come up and be like a shoe or a bag or something like that. You know, like it couldn't possibly be a fish. Um, yeah. But after that, I got quite a few bites once I got sort of dialed in. That's awesome, dude. Now, I'm curious, and, and I feel like this is where I lack as a co-angler. Um, do you find it hard to stay focused when, A, a guy, it, you aren't really around him? right or and b you know um you're not running the boat right you're not you're not looking at that next cast maybe on forward facing sonar you aren't making decisions on where to go uh i feel like i just personally have like lost focus because i'm just like looking around i'm not i'm not as dialed in as when i'm team fishing or if i'm on the front of the boat did you feel any of that or are you like man adam you're you know you need to stay focused here I, uh, I feel like I generally stay pretty locked in, but I think a lot of that is managing expectations going into the tournament. Uh, okay. you know, I like a lot of homework before every event and just look and see what it takes to cash a check or what it takes to win. And uh -huh. I think it's a lot lower than people would expect on the co-angler side. And I would say the majority of, you know, BFLs out there in the country or Toyota series events, if you catch two to three fish a day as a co-angler, 
you're probably doing pretty good, you know, and that might sound crazy, but, but, you know, I just always am aware that I'm only two bites away and that could happen in the last 30 minutes. And I've had so many experiences like that in my life where, you know, I always just try and stay positive and locked in. So. I like it, dude. No, I think that's dead on is you can change your luck so much in, in bass fishing um on one cast and especially on the co-angler side yeah absolutely just goes of one fish goes such a long way yeah one four pounder will get you a a check in a lot of tournaments as a co-angler that's so cool that's awesome well man looking at 2024 i mean you just you just cashed a fifty thousand dollar check some other awesome checks just through your your 2023 season i mean what's what's the plan going into 2024 you've you've kind of seen all of bass fishing at this point or a lot of bass fishing at this point what's your take going into 2024 man i definitely have the itch to compete at a higher level again i just can't sort of justify it at the moment and i also feel like i need to get better and i feel like until i'm winning every tournament that's within two hours of the house that you know that that can keep you keep me occupied uh so I'm going to fish, I think, uh, a BFL division as a boater. I'm going to fish another division as a co-angler. Uh, I think I'm going to fish the Toyota Centrals as a co-angler again. Uh, the Toyota okay. Series as a co-angler, as you sort of indicated before, is probably the best value uh, in all the you know, major tournament bass fishing right now. As far wow. as payback, yeah. you know, and just, you know, what you could potentially win, so... You know, I wanted to fish those events as a boater, but then when I just sort of got down and thought about it, you know, I, I think it just makes more sense to fish them as a co-angler again. And I, I like your take on uh, taking the ego out of things. Um, and I think they're, you know, everyone has to choose their own path and, and what they want to do. And you also kind of got to learn what, what you want to do. Uh, but I but I like the comment of taking your ego out of it because it's so true. You get you you, you build yourself up and you go and you go and and you compete at the next highest level and you keep going growing and then it's like hold up i've already kind of seen this and i'm i'm at where i'm at you know i don't i don't need to have the shiny boat with the wrap and whatever else and and that kind of stuff i mean i don't know i think that's a good take because i i think that uh, there's a lot of people who get frustrated with tournament bass fishing and then just leave it completely whereas you're like hey i'm gonna figure out a way if this makes sense economically and i enjoy it more yeah that's great, man. Uh, one other thing I want to touch on before we we leave the co-angler stuff. Um, yeah. A lot of people talk about technology and electronics, and, and it kind of hinders them as fishing as a co-angler. But I just think about what it takes to fish as a boater these days. Um, and you're almost staring. You're staring at your graph all the time. You know, maybe you're not. But regardless, when you're fishing as a co-angler, all you're doing is fishing. You know, you might have 2D on in the back, but you're literally feeling your bait you know, you're making casts, you're looking up. And I feel like it sort of gives you that old school feeling of, you know, the way it used to be maybe 10 years ago. Uh, And I think it still kind of has that because you don't have three screens in front of your face all day and you're not staring at your live scope, looking for another one or watching your 360 or looking at your GPS to see how you're going to line it up with, with this rock pile. You know, you're just slinging your Carolina rig out there and feeling it, you know, and then figuring it out like that. So I feel like it's kind of, it's, it's more, it's fishing in a, in a pure essence still. Um, whereas I think it's sort of become overcomplicated from the front of the boat sometimes. So it's kind of a refreshing take to just get back there and just fish. 
Yeah, dude, I like it. I mean, that's uh, something for sure I've thought about more and more. Um, you know, I'm drawn to fishing for the outdoors and the pursuit of it and, and loving it. And tournament fishing, which I love just as dearly, you're right. I mean, for me, gosh, unless it's a sight fishing deal or they're up on the bank or it's at the Delta, the majority of my time is looking is best utilized for myself looking at the graph in front of me like that is just is what it is and you get away from looking at your surroundings and being like wow this place is incredible or like you know just just making that a cast to a point without directly looking at it because you're a co-angler just making that long long bomb cast maybe that's why i was so felt distracted as a co-angler because I'm looking at the shrine. I was like, this is beautiful. This is awesome. You know, I'm not just staring at a screen, but like, you're, you're right. It gives you that old time feeling. I, I think, uh, I've always been a proponent. I think anyone who has not fished a co-angler event, um, at this point as a boater should just, just, just to experience it. And it also, it teaches you to be a better fisherman and it teaches you, um, I think still some etiquette too. That's why I like fishing both ways is to be a co-angler and, realize like as a boater right like the worst thing in the world is drawing a guy that's going to cast in front of you all day and yeah. make your life miserable yeah, it's absolutely like, and and to me i'm the same way as a co-angler like i am trying to do everything i can to stay out of the guy's way like i'm trying to do yeah. opposite angles like casting yeah. backwards like you know and and that's uh i think it's a good way for for guys to learn and and kind of mix all that up i think that's one of the biggest mistakes you can make as a co-angler and uh you know, it's really frustrating when you're fishing from the front of the boat and your co-angler is fishing or, you know, casting three feet from your line all day. But I know now as a co-angler that that's not even like the, the best tactic to go about it. You know, you need to be making different casts that your boater isn't making. So, you know, it really makes both guys stay harder. 100%, man. No, no, I think that's all, that's all dead on. And dude, I want to talk now, let's transition a little bit in the side pot in itself. And we've talked about best bang for your buck in tournament fishing in your eyes right now co-angler toyota series is is right up there just from from a entry fee championship payouts all that kind of stuff to win um what else just from a tournament standpoint you know i don't know if you've run calculations on payout percentages or anything like that with organizations but like where you feel like are other just from a tournament organization standpoint before we talk side pot, but just kind of the state of tournaments in 2024 tournament bass fishing and just an overall summary where you see opportunities, I guess. Uh, I think the Toyotas are probably the best of the sort of triple a options. I actually did run some numbers the other night and uh, they're, they're both about 80% payback when you start to factor in the Phoenix incentive money. Now, if you don't have a Phoenix, it's probably not, as great of a deal, uh, but they're still, you know, fairly competitive. Uh, BFLs probably not as rewarding, but you do see a pretty significant top tier prize, and I'm a beneficiary of that. Obviously, of course, I won the fifty thousand dollar regional, so that's what everyone sort of aspires to do. And I did that on five hundred, seven hundred dollars in entry fees, basically for five five BFLs and then a regional. So, you know, to have an opportunity to fish for, for 50 grand and then do that on $700 entry fees is pretty good. Heck yeah. 
I feel like you've seen improvements with the opens this year. Uh, I haven't, you know, crunched those numbers yet, but I know it's better than in the past. Uh, I think competition is good for the industry. Um, there might be some degree of oversaturation, but I, I do think that competition is good. So that's sort of, you know, MPFL, MLF Invitational, Bass Open mix, I do think is good for the sport. Yeah, man, I think so too. I think it, it pushes... Um... It pushes tournament organizations to compete for anglers, their client base, right? As far as on on what makes sense uh, for them, and it just gets things better. Uh, so I agree. I think that that is like I I do think it bothers me a little bit for the true top tier guys. Um, you know, when you in my eyes, you're talking the Bassmaster Elite Series and the BPT, where it's like. I would hope that one day in professional bass fishing, if you make it to that level, your job's never safe, but you should be able to make a, a salary, a living, a, an okay living uh, to at that level. And I don't, I have a hard time seeing that without there being less professional leagues. Um, but at the same time, it's still such a pay to play, right? Even at the, even at the pro level, you're still paying entry fees. It'd just be nice to, to see that one day, but I don't know, just my take. Yeah, I think it's all about really elevating the middle of the pack. You know, I think if you finish 100th out of 100, you shouldn't be able to necessarily make a living as a pro angler. But if you finish 50th out of 100 in the top tier, whether that's the BPT or the Elite Series, you know, you're a darn good angler and, and you should be compensated for that. And those guys are struggling. And that's that's what's tough to see. I mean, there will always be guys at the top who are doing great, but I think it's all about the middle class in bass fishing. The middle class in bass fishing. I like it, man. I think all these all these things that just around tournament payouts and especially your brand of side pot fishing, like you need to start a t-shirt line that just has uh, all these different all these different lines, like the middle class in bass fishing needs to be raised. Like <laughs> just different yeah. different things there. There's got to be some good ideas. Yeah, man. Well, I, I think I think that's good, good stuff, and that's good information just on mid-tier, that triple A kind of level in bass fishing where guys are looking to to maybe fish in 2024 what makes sense in your uh, eyes but man a while back we had you on talking side pot fishing so when it was all coming out you know it was like i oh, man i'm gonna do this thing where we're gonna have a, a very high percentage payback to guys who want to make it a little more economical to where it makes sense from an entry fee percentage payout standpoint but for folks who don't know i guess explain side pot fishing Side pot fishing is the same concept as a side pot on your local derby, except it's for almost every larger scale event throughout the country. Uh, all the Bass Opens, all the Toyota Series, every BFL, a handful of ABA divisions are on there. Uh, starting to sort of branch into the kayak uh, world a little bit. Oh. Haven't had a ton of traction over there yet, but, but we're trying. So uh, it is a 90% payback with no membership or no gimmicks or no credit card fees. So if you pay $100 to enter the side pot, $90 of that goes directly to the pot. Uh, if there's five participants or less, it just pays, you know, it's winner take all. So with five guys in it, you'd win $450. You just have to finish ahead of the other four guys. Uh, that's often, you know, 10th, 20th, 30th place in some of these tournaments. So you don't necessarily have to do super well to win the side pot. You just have to beat the other guys that are in it. So with six, uh, six or more participants, it pays two spots with, uh, 11, it pays three and so on. So it's not winner take all, uh, it pays one in five generally. And 
if everyone entered the side pot, I, I think it would totally transform the tournament game. Uh, if you just look at basically what we pay in investment compared to some of these other tournaments, and you'd basically be doubling your, uh, your potential winnings in a BFL. Mm, yeah. And I think that's where, especially like, I think there's a lot of values is, is in those lower tier, large number of people tournaments, right? Like when there's a lot of participants, the more side pots that occur, I mean, that's take a local. I like how small tournaments are kind of you, you, is where this, this um, idea, it sounds like kind of came from to some extent was like the ABAs out West, for instance, there's a, there's a all in package right like rather than spending 180 dollars on your team tournament entry fee if you spend 300 that extra 120 is going straight back to the pot and a payout and it's like that is where those things actually start to make sense and you can actually win a lot of money is is that additional side pot money that comes into into tournament fishing and it's just a it's a hard thing for guys i think to wrap their heads around to some extent when they're maybe stretching to pay a $2,000 entry fee and they're like, yeah. Oh crap, I'm already, you know, but, but I mean, okay. So say on like a Toyota series event as a boater, what's the side pot entry addition at a triple a boater level? $200. Okay. So nothing, right. As far as like, you're already in, you're already in three grand into the week. You're in three grand in the grand scheme of things. It's really not much. No, no. And I think the other benefit, the aspect I view it like a contingency program. Right. It's like if you're if you're a Toyota series bonus bucks guy, you know, I've I've had buddies win the Toyota series bonus bucks finishing 45th place. Right. Yeah. It's like they were the only guy registered and they got a thousand dollar check, yeah. you know, or, or so. So to me, that's what it is, is it's like you are just adding a contingency program into your yeah. season. I think at one point last year, we had to go down to 113th place. To get someone to check. Wow. So, so yeah, if you enter at this point, you still have a pretty good chance of winning it. A lot of opportunity. That's yeah, great. Absolutely. I think there's there's a lot of opportunity as it's still young and participation is still, you know, five to twenty guys on an average tournament. Yeah. And so now in in some of this, as you've as you've seen it grow and and as you're building and and getting more uh, people involved with it, do you have some guys that are like this guy hits side pot fishing every time he can. He's consistently signing up. Like, do you have some some regulars at this point? You know, I'm sort of torn as to uh, you know really getting the the, the true hammers and the guys uh, at at the top involved because I feel like there might be a oh I don't think I can beat that guy mentality, and I think it might actually hurt participation. Now I mm -hmm. might be wrong with that, but I think sometimes people try and speculate who else might be in the side pot. And, you know, this goes back to fishing against the competition, not so much fishing against the fish per se. Right. So, you know, there are a handful of regulars. Um, I think Michael Miller uh, in North Carolina is a seven-time side pot winner. And I think Tyler Williams, uh, Bassmaster Elite Series pro now, he's won eight side pots with us. So, wow. You guys are pretty good when they're in it. No joke, man. That's, that's great. And so on the top tier – elite series bpt any of that are you able to do any side pot stuff there or is it only kind of the triple a like what does that look like at this point 
I've, I've thought about it. Uh, I feel like I'm just sort of building up the brand at this point, and there's so many tournaments. I get a little diluted and just kind of oversaturated at times, and it's hard to focus. I mean, there's probably seven to ten side pot, you know, sanctioned tournaments going on every weekend now. So mm. I'm just trying to market where the core group is. Uh, and I also think about it as, you know, if you're competing for over 100% payback, why would you want to compete for 90? You know, and, and maybe I'm point. thinking, but – you know, I offer this as an opportunity for everyone who's competing for 65 or 75 or 85 percent payback. Now they have the opportunity to compete for 90 as well. That, yeah, man, I, I love how uh, black and white you are with things, right? Oh. It's like take the ego out fishing as a co-angler, sell the $80,000 boat buy the $20,000. You know, like it's just like, man, I'm just going to look at this like black and white. Here's where if guys are making, you know, if they're fishing for an over a hundred percent payback at the top levels, right? That you, you it's see about 150% payback. Last time I did the math on the elites and the BPT. So okay. they pay out roughly one and a half times what the anglers pay in and entry fees. So no, yeah, I think that's totally the way to look at things black and white. It's like, it's not a value add necessarily for those guys. Um, and so it's a value add for anyone who's stuck fishing, uh, the stuff that we fish, right? Where it's just, it's, it's not a consistent payback. Yeah, absolutely. That's great, man. Well, well stuff for 2024, what is new with side pot? Is it just growing the brand? What, what do things look like in 2024? Or is there a new tournament series that you're taking on? What, what do things look like? Uh, I want to push a little harder into the kayak world. Uh, also, I'm curious just to see how the ABA shakes out you know, as an angler, but also, you know, side pot fishing, uh, their new pro series, as they're calling it. Uh, they've also expanded their solo 150 series. So it sounds like they're sort of hit or miss in certain parts of the country. They might have a bigger presence out West. Uh, I knew they do well in Florida and they do well in New York, but they always struggled in, in Maryland and New Jersey where I was from. So, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out as well. Yeah. I think that's a, and and as a distinction, there's different ABA. There's a different ABA out west, which is kind of really confusing. Okay. Um. So it's it's American. Well, it's it's ABA, but it's their website's American Bass 2.0. But that's kind of like the grassroots regional out west. There's not really anything else like that out west. Um, from like they'll go into Idaho, into Colorado, into places that aren't necessarily the West Coast. Um, but tell me a little bit about this pro series. I, I didn't even know about this American bass pro. I mean, I've heard of American bass, right? I've always seen, they've got an awesome championship, that kind of stuff. But what's the pro series for 2024? So they replaced the open series, which was the $200 entry fee level, uh, boater co-angler pro-amp style format with okay. what they're calling the professional series. We should do air quotes here. Uh, mm -hmm. I believe it's $300 boater entry fee. Um, but no co-anglers. So I think Ooh. that's interesting. It's kind of like, you know, your competitor to the BFLs, but it gives you an option to fish without a co-angler. So. Got it. Got it. Man, I think the other spot where I see a trend, I feel like going into 2024 in tournament stuff are great payouts in regional markets like that's been always been kind of a thing but now i just feel like there's more and more guys talking about it and fishing some of that stuff but like you see down in texas the brandon belt tournaments right on rayburn and places like that where people are like 
guys, this is as good as a payout as you are going to see. Uh, Oklahoma, there's stuff happening like that. Of course, it, in the in the really popular fishing states, you kind of see that. But I just feel like there's some of these coming, these one-off open tournaments or regionals that are not a national brand, not a major league fishing or bass opens that you're seeing more and more guys and pros lean into fishing those kinds of things. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think, uh, the ABT Alabama bass trail, they, they come to mind. I feel like they sort of set the standard in the Southeast. Uh, I know they had their first ABT 100 of the year, uh, this weekend. I think they're a hundred percent payback on everything, which is great. Uh, there's some, you know, big trails in the Carolinas. I know that Skeeter team trail is, is really popular. And then some of the English choice stuff that they have over there. So I think there's a lot of great regional options out there. Yeah. And you can talk to the, the Todd Castledines of the world and a lot of the other guys who live in Alabama. And, you know, sometimes it just makes a little more sense to stay at home and take advantage of some of those opportunities. Yeah, man. Well, and I'm sure like you're in what's nice is, is a market that you can kind of do that in right as far as being on a couple of of pretty high level um lakes that get hit often a with big tournaments uh and, and b with a, a really strong local local group of anglers that you can fish almost year round and that that's really what i've looked at as far as potential places to live is like where's there somewhere where it's like can fish high level tournaments close to home uh, and then go and jump into stuff if you want to outside of that region. But I think that's a great one, right? Where you're at and you're central to a lot of the country as far as if you are going to travel. I don't know. Was it your show? Someone did a show recently on the uh, the perfect spot to live if you wanted to be a pro angler and did the geographic center of every tour. And yep, I think it, I much the, uh, it was Tennessee or Kentucky every time. So every time, man. Yeah. That's that's where that's where it is. So. Oh man, well, it's great to hear from you and to hear how everything's going, Luke. Um, for folks who are interested in following along with yourself, with SidePot, where where do people need to go? Yeah, Instagram and Facebook, uh, Luke Schrader personally, um, and then SidePot Fishing on both Instagram and Facebook. I'm pretty regular with both of those. Uh, and the website is sidepotfishing.com. Uh, super, super easy to enter any of these side pots. There's no membership fee. You just go under register, you find your tournament. They're all sort of sorted. Um, and then you purchase the side pot entry, just like you purchase any other item online. And then I get your information and you're automatically entered. So it takes about two minutes to do. Love it. Love it, man. Well, great. Well, dude, I'm, I'm glad to hear uh that sh your, your plans for 2024 all your success in 2023 you still got the fire you're like man still gonna fish stuff as a boat or still gonna still fish stuff as a co-angler and just kind of take an economical approach and keep uh keep winning derbies man i love it man i i would fish two tournaments every single weekend if i could oh gosh it, me too it's a it's a it's an addiction it truly is it's kind of a it's kind of a problem but a, a great thing all at once yeah Awesome. Well, with that, dude, I hope uh, I hope things warm up for you and you can uh, start using all of your toilets again uh, without having to, to add water to things. But uh, man, uh, looking forward to uh, to catching up somewhere down the road. I'm sure we'll see each other at a show or at a tournament uh, here sometime in 2024. Yeah, man, I appreciate it. It was fun. Heck yeah. All right. We'll see you later, Luke. All right. <laughs>